Raise your hand if you're sick in the room this morning. Is something going around? I think something's going around. Let me grab this. My son had something last night that was not good. I won't tell you what happened, but there was a big mess to clean up. That gives you a word picture. Okay, so we are, uh, we are in the second week of our series called Ask Anything. If you remember, back in December, we asked you guys to uh, nominate some questions, and you did. Then we also asked you to, uh, I'm going to try my, I have an iPad up here, but I'm not sure if it's working. I'll, I'll let you guys at the back advance the slides. Worthless piece of junk. Look at this thing. Now it's frozen. All right, so... Um, but we, uh, we nominated some questions. You nominated some questions last December, and you guys got to vote on those questions. We did a top ten. And so today's number nine. And so um, today's question is, what about those who never hear about Jesus? Raise your hand if you've had this question before. There's like ten of you. All right, so I'm talking to ten people today. Um, everyone else, just pretend like you've had this question before and, uh, and just pretend to act interested. But... Um, when you ask that question, uh, there's something that's always behind these kinds of questions, right? Behind this question is this kind of thinking, I would guess. What if there are people out there who haven't heard? And what if there are people who would believe if only they would hear, right? And so that's how your, your thinking goes. And then you, then you say to yourself, well, I mean, I don't know how God handles that equation because surely there's got to be people in parts of the world that don't hear the gospel as much or as often as I hear it over here in the U.S., right? And so God might not be just, and if he's not just, he's not a God that I can worship or follow. And so some people will bring that to conclusion. They'll say, well, how can God be just when I don't know how he goes around and, and reveals himself to people in this way? So some people will use this as an excuse to not believe. Now, um, before we begin, I want to give you, um, there's one little argument that I, that I want to give you. I would call this the heartless argument, okay? This would be the argument that it's logical, it makes sense. I read this in a book by a really smart guy this past week. I'll give it to you. I don't really encourage you to use this on your friends. I just don't because I think it's kind of just, it's almost like too rational, too logical. But here's the, the quote that I want you to see. This is a quote by William Lane Craig, and here's what he says. He says, what if God already knows that those who haven't heard wouldn't believe if given the chance? In other words, let me break this down for you. There's the assumption that many people have out there, that there's, there's this group of people out there in the world somewhere that if they would only hear, that they would believe. But God hasn't gotten around to telling them about himself yet. If we could close the kitchen and the window, that'd be great. You guys are being kind of loud back there, sorry. Um, but so the, uh, if, if, God, if God could somehow get around to them, then they'd believe, but they somehow don't ever hear about him, correct? That's what some people will think. So his point is that we, we have this assumption that there's a group of people out there that, that have that situation, and um, he just brings up the point. He says, look, if God knows everything, he knows who's going to believe and who's not going to believe. What if he's just set things up to where um, he knows that those that are going to believe are going to be the ones that hear about him, right? We would say that, um, I mean, look at the Israelites. 
The Israelites knew who God was, right? They saw him do miracles, and yet many of them didn't believe, and they were the chosen nation in the sense that God revealed in a specific way to that nation, and many individuals in that nation didn't believe. So if God knows that, right, then, um, then it might be that he does not reveal himself to some people that he knows are not going to submit to him. That's one argument. But that's, that's kind of like my, what I would call my heartless argument this morning. Um, now I want to get to the, more the heart argument uh, for this question. Go to my next slide. This is a map of the growth of Christianity. Now, if you know, I have a little laser pointer today, so I can point at you guys right here on the front row and also uh, up here on the screen. So I like how that works. All right, so, so the blues and the purples, these sections will be considered sections that are um, predominantly Christian. Now look, these percentages I think are way off. There's no way that 90% of, the, of these certain countries down here are truly Christian. I would say they're culturally Christian, right? They know the truth or they've heard it. There's lots of churches around. But I would not say that the U.S., probably has 70 to 80% like true Christians. Would you agree with that? I would say that's probably not accurate, but we would say that that's what they would at least claim to be, okay? And so here's the map. Now look at the trend here. Now this, this entire area, North South America, is, is pretty high with a couple of pockets up here that are not so high. Now look over here, this brown area here. In fact, this dark brown area all along here is what's known as the 1040 window, where missionaries have their sights set on that part of the world because that is the most unreached portion of the globe today. Brown area says, dark brown says, zero to nine percent would, would even claim to be Christian, right? Now, here's the weird part about that. Where did Christianity begin? Right there, if I can hold it steady. I can't, I don't have a very steady hand. Look at that. It's all bouncing around. I would not make a good surgeon, that's for sure. Oops, sorry. I cut off the wrong, yeah. Um, okay, so right there, where you see the dot jumping around, is Israel. And um, that's where Christianity began. Now look around Israel. It's like the entire area around Israel today, including Israel itself, is not Christian at all. Isn't that crazy? that the area where Christianity began is the least Christian part of the world today, right? So here's what happened. Throughout history, the whole thing began right there, spread throughout the Roman Empire. There's some little spots here and there, mostly Catholic and so on in Spain, Italy and so on. But most of Europe is what they call post-Christian, meaning they've gotten over their Christianity, and now they've moved on to intellectualism, enlightenment thinking, those kinds of things. And what happened, though, was the gospel spread worldwide. And so we have Christians over here in the U.S., in South America, and so on. Now, the reason why I show you that is because when people ask this kind of question, what about those who don't hear? This map shows that the entire world at some point has heard. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there's people in that 1040 window who've never heard the gospel. I can't answer that question for you. 
But the gospel has spread literally across the globe. In fact, it is the only religion that I know of that is where it began is no longer where it's the strongest. In other words, India is the place where Hinduism began, I believe, and it is where Hinduism is the strongest. Buddhism began where? China. It is the place where it is the strongest. Muslim, Islam began in Saudi Arabia, and it is the place where it is the strongest, and it branches out from there. Now, there are people in New York City who are Muslims, of course, but the strength of that religion is still where it began. Christianity is the only one that has gone beyond where it began and is now, we would say, stronger where it ended up than where it began. It has literally spread across the entire globe. In fact, when people ask the question, you know, what about those people in Africa who've never heard? Now, I understand there's a section up here of Africa that we could say that about, but look at the rest of Africa. Look at that. In fact, the country of Zimbabwe is right here, right there. And I met my friend uh, Simon in Zimbabwe on a mission trip. He's the guy coming over to speak at Impact Camp in a couple of months. And people always ask the question, what about Africa? All those people that have never heard in Africa. I've been to Africa several times, a couple times. And what I'll tell you is in Zimbabwe, we flew into this little town called Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Anyone ever heard of Bulawayo, Zimbabwe? No, you have not. It's a town of a million people. There's quite a few people there, but you, you don't know where it is because it's not on your radar. But in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, um, one of the first things I noticed in, Zim, in, in that town was this. We're driving down the street looking for a place to eat, and I see this really familiar sign that's a white and red sign with an old man's face on the front. You know what I'm talking about? KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Kentucky. You know where Kentucky is, right? The backwoods of the U.S. Kentucky Fried Chicken is all the way in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Now, how did that get there? A bunch of guys in some suits decided we're going to put a KFC in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe so we can make some money. But KFC is not all that Bulawayo, Zimbabwe has. They also have churches, and I don't mean chicken. I don't mean churches chicken. I mean they actually have churches in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Why? Because of the gospel spreading across the globe. And so it's amazing to me that you go to a place like that, and you see two things that are we think of as American, and yet you find them there in the middle of Africa, the place that many people think the gospel has never gone to, right? And so this morning, what I want to do is get to a bunch of passages, and this is going to be like, you know, a really challenging deal to get through all these. So I'm going to try to do it as quick as I can, and you guys can have some discussion here at the end in a moment. Um, but I started thinking about this, this whole question, and behind this question, what about those people who never hear? I think there's this, this issue behind that question. There's this assumption that you have that we worship a God who doesn't want to reveal himself. You think that there's a God that we worship that's kind of sitting around going, you know, I mean, six billion people is a lot of people. I don't really have time 
to deal with all these people and really reveal myself to all of these. So you know what? I'm just going to sit around and, and, and not try real hard to reveal myself, right? And so we think that about God, or we assume that about God, but when you look at Scripture, we see the complete opposite. We see a God that is passionate about revealing himself. And I'm going to show you several passages this morning that I, have, I want to touch on. And he's going to go very quickly, so don't even try to keep up with your Bibles or even your apps, unless you have like a really quick trigger finger. Um, but if you, look at, if you look at Genesis chapter 1 through 4, we see that page can go away. See, I'm done with that page anyway. Uh, Genesis 4, 1 through 4, we see um, revealed with Adam and Eve, we see that God has a very specific relationship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? And then you move on from that, and you get to Genesis chapter 6, verse 13. We see the man Noah. You guys know the story of Noah? And here's what it says. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God sees how wicked, evil, and violent the world has become, and he decides, I'm going to interject myself here. I'm going to choose this person, Noah, because Noah is righteous and godly and wants to follow me. I'm going to choose him to build the ark, and I'm going to save his family. I'm going to start this whole thing all over again. So God reveals himself to Noah. Look at the next passage. Abraham, at the time he was called Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Now, if you recall, Abraham had two sons. What were the names? Abraham. What's that? No, Abraham had two sons. We're not quite Jacob and Esau yet. Ishmael and Isaac. Then Isaac had two sons. What were their names? Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob, his name got changed to what? Israel. And then Israel, he had how many sons? A bunch. He had 12 sons. And so then you get the 12 tribes of Israel from there. So we move all the way now to Joseph, one of the sons of, of Jacob. And Genesis 39, verse 2 and 3, it says, The Lord was with Joseph. This is now Joseph in Egypt. He's been in slavery in Egypt, sold by his brothers into slavery. And it says this, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Look, watch. His pagan master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so Egypt is a pagan place, doesn't know much about God, but they see the leader of, one of the leaders of Egypt sees the hand of God at work in the life of Joseph. And he knows to even give credit to God. He says, I know that this, this man has God's hand in his life. Later on, Joseph's family comes down to Egypt. As you remember the story, they grow as a nation and they get enslaved by the Egyptians. And even when they are released from Egypt, God lets the Egyptians see his power through suffering. There's no question when the Israelites leave who the God of Israel is. Egypt has to acknowledge that when they leave Israel, when they leave Egypt. 
Fast forward all the way to King Solomon. So we've gone through, already had prophets and so on come through. We've already had King Saul and King David. Now it's King Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. God had his hand on the life of Solomon. And in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now when the queen of Sheba, who was a woman queen, female queen down in uh, Ethiopia, that area of the world, she had heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She came to test him with hard questions. No internet, no telephone, nothing. And she has heard in Africa the fame and renown of Solomon and knows to connect that with the God of Israel. In verse 5, I'm not going to read verse 5, but if you look there later on in, in, your, in your Bibles, in verse 5 of the same chapter, it says that when she saw the wisdom of Solomon, that when she saw his palace and his food, his burnt offerings at the temple, it says this, there was no more breath in her. And you thought Justin Bieber had that effect on people. Well, King Solomon had the same effect. When she saw these things with Solomon, there was no more breath in her. She was speechless, breathless. Fast forward to uh, verse 9 of the same chapter. Here's what she says to King Solomon. She says, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. So here's Queen, Queen, she, Queen of Sheba, many, many miles away, hears and knows about this God that the Israelites serve and worship. Comes all the way from where she is to find out more. Realizes it's true and says, this must be the true God. This must be him. This must be him. And so what we see with Israel is other other nations see God at work in Israel, and they are forced to acknowledge the fact that this is the one true God. Now, another question that many of you will ask is, okay, why in the world did God set Israel apart? Why would he choose a nation like Israel? Isn't that kind of exclusive? Isn't that almost racist, right? And we ask that question, but here's why God chose Israel. Here's the way in which he chose them. It wasn't like God chose Israel and said, okay, everyone in Israel is saved. Don't worry about it. You're saved. That's not what chosen means. Chosen as a nation means God had a covenant with them as a nation. It also meant that God gave them the law. It also meant he gave them prophets. It also meant that he chose to use them as a nation to give birth to the Messiah. But the whole point of God choosing Israel wasn't to say everyone in this nation is totally saved. The point was to reveal himself through that nation to the rest of the world. That was the point. Now, I want to show you um, some verses that tie into this. Israel was blessed so that she could be a blessing. As a nation, she was blessed so she could be a blessing to the rest of the world. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, this is directed to Abraham just after he he almost offered his son on the, on the altar, his, his son Isaac. And it says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. You see, it wasn't supposed to stop with Israel. 
Israel was blessed so she could be a blessing to the rest of the world. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, this is the story of Moses. But for this purpose, I have raised you up, meaning Moses, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So Moses is raised up so God can display his power through Moses and the nation of Israel. Why? So that God's name can be proclaimed throughout all the earth. And here's the really cool part about that, is that you found out about that story when you were a really small child if you grew up in church. And here we are reading it later on. The whole point of that story happening was so that you would know about it. So that God would reveal himself to the world through the actions that he did with Moses. And then Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. This is a story of Rahab. She was a prostitute in Jericho. And Israel's trying to scout out the promised land. They send spies, which would be a really fun job back in that day. They send spies to scout out Jericho. And this woman, a prostitute, takes them into her home and hides the spies from the men who might seek to kill them. And this is what Rahab, I'll remind you, Rahab is in a pagan city, living a pagan lifestyle, and these men come to her from Israel, and look at what she says to these men. It says, before, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So Rahab, a pagan woman living in a pagan city, becomes a believer in the God of Israel. She is listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 as a person who had great faith. And that's just in the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament now. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. This is about Paul. If you recall that Paul was someone who persecuted and possibly even killed Christians before he became a Christian, and here's what happened in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Paul had become a Christian. Previously, he had persecuted Christians, possibly even killed Christians. And so you can imagine that now that he's a Christian, the Christians are suspicious. They're like, wait, wait, Paul's a Christian? Not like that Paul? Not him? No. I mean, we're not going to trust that right away because that could be his way of, I mean, it'd be like if bin Laden was still alive. Him coming to America and saying, like, you know, I want to work for the CIA. Any takers? And they'd be like, well, uh, I'm not sure that's going to work out because you did something about 12 years ago, if you recall, right? And so that's the kind of thing it would be for Paul to become a Christian and now want to be around Christians. And so there are people that don't quite trust it. They're like, I'm not going to trust that. And so this here... Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 15, is a response for some men who don't trust Paul, don't want to be around Paul, 
and they think he's um, trying to kill them, persecute them. And this is what um, a prophet or uh, the Lord says to them. It says, go, for he, meaning Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul's mission was not just to reach Israel, but to go before the non-Jews, the Gentiles, to go before kings. And so God reveals himself to Paul, totally changes him, totally transforms him, and so Paul could reveal God to the Gentiles. Look beyond that to Acts chapter 10, verse 12. It says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. So this guy is a non-Jew. He's a military leader, and somehow he has found out about Jesus, or about the God of the Old Testament at least. And Peter later comes to him and convinces him that Jesus is the promised Messiah, and he becomes a believer, a true believer in Jesus Christ. And so in all these passages, we see a God who is bent on, on revealing himself, a God who wants to see people come to know him, a God who will go to the lengths of the earth to reveal himself to people in many and various ways. And then that brings us all the way to Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 16 to 20. Here's what it says. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is now Paul writing this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The man who persecuted Christians is now not ashamed of Jesus. The man who tried to cause people to be ashamed of Christ is now not ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. And so God revealed himself to the Jews. Why? So they could reveal him, God, to the Gentiles. Look at verse 17. For in it, meaning the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the gospel reveals the righteousness and justice of God. Look at uh, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, I want you to get this. When, when Paul writes, it can be confusing. Watch this first, though. There are two words I want you to latch on. Reveal and suppress. Reveal and suppress. So what he says is, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all sin, who by their sin suppress the truth. So, so when people sin, when people commit injustice, live unrighteously, there, is two, there are two things that happen. Number one is God's wrath is revealed, but at the same time, God's character and his truth are suppressed at the same time. And I'll explain how this, this works out. First of all, God's wrath is revealed against sin. How is it revealed? There are built-in consequences to sin on this earth. Case in point, Exhibit A, Lance Armstrong, right? How many of you guys watched the interview the other day on 
the Oprah Winfrey Network. Anyone? Your parents did. You guys don't care about this stuff, do you? You're like, yeah, I have better things to do. But if you watch that, if you watch that interview with Lance Armstrong, you see a man who has, yeah, done some heinous things, some horrible things. He sinned, like we all have. And he's tried to keep on doing the same things, lying, uh, doping, lying about it, doping some more, lying about it. And he's spun this web to now where everything has collapsed. God has built in consequences for sin while we're on this earth. And here's what happens. In, in that way, God, God's wrath is revealed against sin, sometimes even while we're still on this earth. And so here's what happens. People sin. People suffer as a result of that sin. And then everyone asks the question, well, where's God? You think Lance's kids are asking the question, like, where's God? I mean, my, my dad left me. He's living with his girlfriend now. I got no dad. I got a mom and, and some siblings, but I don't have a dad anymore, at least not the way it used to be. And so when people sin, people suffer as a result of that sin. And everyone asks the question, where's God? And often this suffering is a, re, is, is a direct result of sin. And I would say to that person, hey, God's right there revealing his wrath against sin. Like you're just seeing a different side of God in that moment because he's trying to deal with your dad on the sin issue. He's revealing himself through his wrath. And so on the one hand, sin reveals an aspect of God, which is his wrath. But on the other hand, sin also suppresses an aspect of God, which is his truth. How does sin do that? Going back to the Lance Armstrong story, there are many people who have suffered as a result of this man's sin and have asked the question, where's God? Or I can't believe that there's a God out there that would let someone like that off the hook. It's like, God's not letting them off the hook. But people can feel that way. And as a result, the truth and character about God is suppressed because of someone's sin. And so there's this revealing taking place of God, even in the midst of someone else's sin, even as they try to suppress the truth about God, his wrath is often revealed in their sin. Look at verse 19. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So this is referring to God revealing himself through his creation. And if you look around the world, I don't want to sound cliche here when I say this, but um, it's true. When you look at the complexity of creation, how things fit and work together, it's hard to deny the reality that there is a God who created all this. It's really difficult to deny that reality. And here's what I would say in addition to that. I'm not saying that someone can come to a full knowledge of Jesus just by looking at the intricacies of the eyeball, okay? I'm not saying that someone looks at the eyeball and says, the eyeball is so magnificent and amazing. There must be a man who died on a cross that died for my sins, right? I'm referring to, this is general revelation I'm referring to, that general revelation is we look at creation and say, wow, there must be a creator. And then what happens is we say, I want to find out more about that creator. 
and we go to specific special revelation like the Bible to learn, learn more about that God. So God gives general revelation. He also gives special revelation through his word. And the special revelation is what is required to understand sin, holiness of God, understand that there is a person, a, a man who came, or a, a God who came as man to, um, to die for us on the cross for our sins. That is special revelation, and God has given us both. And so if anyone can look at creation and conclude that there's no God, it's because they don't want to believe that there is one. They want to find an excuse that there is no God. And so I know after I, after I read all these passages, I know the question is still there. Okay, what about the kid who grows up in a Muslim area and just doesn't hear? Just doesn't hear the gospel? And here's the, what I'll say. I, I can't fully answer that question, but I know God is good, and I trust him. And I look at the Bible, and I see a God who reveals himself to people throughout history. And I trust him to do what is right, what is just, and what is good. And I'll close with one final passage. You'll know, do some discussion here in a minute. Look at uh, Job chapter 1, verse 22. If you know the story of Job, Job was a man who was righteous before God. God allowed Satan to tempt him by taking all of his stuff, his, his family, um, his kids were killed, his livestock was, was taken from him. Um, he even got boils and sores on his skin as a way of testing. And the reason why God allowed this to happen was because he knew Job was a man of character and that he would not turn from him in the midst of that suffering. And in, in Job chapter 1, verse 22, even after Job has suffered in, in immense ways, it says, in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He didn't charge God with wrong. And I think when we, whenever we ask questions like the one that we asked, you know, why does, what happens to those that never hear, we are, we are trying to sometimes catch God doing something unjust or wrong in our eyes so that we can turn the tables on him, and now he becomes the defendant, we become the judge, we become God, he becomes the sinner, right? This is how we operate sometimes. It's true of whenever we go through suffering, we ask questions like, well, how could God let that happen to me? And what you do is you turn the tables on God just like Job was tempted to do but did not do, and you're tempted to charge God with wrong. Just think about this. If, you, if we ever charge God with wrong, we are making God into a sinner, right? Making ourselves God and turning God into a sinner. I mean, how, how crazy is that, that we would go to that length? And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't let this question keep you from surrendering your life to God, because I believe God is a God who reveals himself in powerful, amazing ways, and he's pursuing you. He's revealed himself to you. And my hope is that you'll submit your life and surrender your life to him. Let's go ahead and have some discussion at your tables as we wrap up. Go ahead and discuss.